Time for lifestyles of the poor and insignificant. Here we go. We're going to the penthouse on the Gold Coast. You know, like like they do in the big shows. You know, the Ozzy Osbourne show, and there's the family Stallone now, and you've seen Gene Simmons at home with all his family. Well, now let's go. Let's peek inside the penthouse here on the Gold Coast of rock star Brian Mannix, and let's see what's happening. Well, Kev, great to be here. Um, had an interesting week actually. Mm-hmm. In, in that, well, about a week ago. I just started, I don't know, I just must have been giving people the shits or something because <laughs> everything seemed to be going off at me and I thought, and after a little bit of this, I thought, what is Mercury in retrograde or something? Oh. And, somebody said, and somebody said, no, it's a new moon. And I thought, oh, okay, new moon. Well, it's not off to a good start. Well, they're all, anyway, bark, they're all barking mad in Queensland anyway. So it was centralised to a geographic area or was it just a general kind of well, Brian's just, giving us the shits? <laughs> it just didn't let, let up, to be honest, because um, my daughter went to Adelaide to visit her mother, so that was good, but she took with her the key to my apartment, and oh. or a key, and then... Because I lost my bag at the airport, also part of the new moon, mm. my other key had gone, so I borrowed the spare key off the guy that I have it here. Anyway, then I proceeded to lock myself out of the apartment, Uh-oh. which was not good, and it was night time, so the duty manager wasn't around to help me. So I had to stay at a friend's house, and the next day I kept the duty manager. He's got all these master keys. Nah, none of them work. Oh, so really? <laughs> then I've got to get the locksmith out. So the locksmith comes out and he's going to cost me 180 but he can't pick the lock. So therefore he's got to get the axle angle grinder out and chop the doorknob pretty much in half. Well, any of the people hanging around the bottom of the penthouse will be able to pick the lock. Well, they can't. <laughs> the, the locksmith couldn't. So then he had to... Um, Chop the doorknob off. I had to buy a new doorknob. So four hundred and eight dollars later, I've got back into my apartment. Oh, then, so I go to lunch with Lucky Phil. Yeah, and I think I'll get some oysters. And I have one of the oysters. Ah, oh. this this is dodgy. So I took them back, and they gave me my money back. However, the one oyster was enough to give me food poisoning, and so then I was crook as a dog. And then I had to do a gig while I was crook. So it was just a um, one of those weeks where everything that could possibly go wrong did. So thank you to the new moon. <laughs> wow. The Mercury in retrograde or whatever it is. Oh, look, I'm not a real big follower of that stuff, but uh, this week it's kind of won me over a bit that maybe there's something in this this new moon and retrograde and all that crap. Well, so. The good thing mm-hmm. is that uh, that you've survived enough to be able to bring everyone a terrific episode of Life of Brian. Well, that's that's this is true, Kev, and um, I'm excited about today's show. So am I. For no particular reason, I'm just excited yeah. about today's well, show. Well, a couple of terrific guests. We've got uh, two very, very good uh, homegrown talents. One, an international star in David mm. Sterry. Yes, and the other Very one, good. Grant Hansen, of course. Now, Grant, uh, Grant's a, uh, not only a terrific muso, he's also a hell of a good DJ. He's also a very good television host uh, and uh, and a Footscray supporter. So what more could I ask? 
Well, he's a really nice fellow, and he was very interesting. I think people will enjoy listening to him. Yeah. So there are two. Mm. There are two big stars, and we'll uh, talk about. David's got some gigs coming up uh, with Real Life uh, at the Mimo Music Hall on August four, and then on Fright Night at Malden on August five. Then he's doing a big cruise uh, early next year, but uh, lots of dates. So just check him out on on Facebook. And uh, Grant's band Blackfire have just released Regeneration. Their kind of get back together again, relaunch the band CDs. So that's out and about. It's on all the, uh, we're going to play a track off it, but that's on all the music platforms. And they're playing some gigs around the place too. So check out Grant's uh, Facebook page and Blackfire's Facebook page for all the details of that. So there oh, we go. All right. The only thing we fantastic. haven't mentioned is our very good friends at Murcotts. Oh, they're fantastic. Wow. Mark and the team there will, will sort you out. They will make you a better driver, they will make sure you are safer on the road. I'll give you a little, little – you'll be surprised how how sort of silly some hints sound and then when you do them, you go, bang. He, he did one on a, on a video um, just before Christmas about storing your uh, your laptop and, and uh, luggage when you, when you go for a drive. And I'd forgot – it's one of those things that you should do automatically but you don't, but it just – his little memory jog of that for me made uh, driving up uh, and back from our, our join up at the, at the coast a hell of a lot uh, less stressful because I wasn't worried about my laptop flying across the seat at 150 miles yeah. an hour. So. Or your briefcase or yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah, no, that's very important to uh, do that. But also important to be able to steer the car well yeah, and else. to know when to do the brakes. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is uh, something of an added bonus these days with some people. Uh, I know yeah. I know a lot of people that enjoy driving, but they hate the steering part of it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, it's a worry, isn't it? Uh, so give them a call, uh, and that number for Murcotts, of course, is... One three hundred triple five five seven six. Let me say it again, Kev. Yep. One three hundred triple five five seven six. Mercots.edu.au. Let's get to our first guest, which is the wonderful a man from real life himself, another good Western suburbs boy from born at the Footscray Hospital. It's David. Yeah. Same place it's I was re- born. It's got a real Footscray theme today, hasn't yeah, it? Yes, has a bit. We might boot you well, off. Well, fair enough. <laughs> Here we go. Life of David instead. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> What is the real-life David Sterry experience these days? Mostly what I want to do is play real-life shows that are not just the first two songs off my first album. Yeah, uh, it's, it's good fun doing all those big hit shows and hanging out with um, all your old mates and having great production. I mean, there's something a little bit not so satisfying when you go, oh, I've got some new songs and, gee, I'm only after two songs, I'm not even working up a suite yet and I want to get back to some days where you just have that whole thing of, putting a set together and playing everything from a part, you know, the career, 40-year career of writing songs, not just the first couple of songs you wrote. And um, so I, I'm trying to do more and more of that. But, of course, there's a couple of things that you can't say no to. There's a, a Caribbean cruise I've got coming up in the new year. Um, and you, you look at these things and you're going, what? I'm on with Joey Ramone and um, I don't know, no, it's probably not Joey. Joey might be dead, but one of the Ramones and uh, Air Supply and Sheena Easton and... Um, George Michael and Prince. <laughs> yeah, all those guys, yeah. Yeah, Bex playing guitar for me. <laughs> Just check the thing to make sure Brian's name's not on it because he wants to know that he'll still be alive come the new year. It's funny. Be it's, good. it's like when you're accepting a gig like that, it's like a year away and my... My year didn't start very good health wise, and I'm thinking, yeah, I'll say yeah, but I mightn't be here. And you look at the age of, of other people, and the air supplier older than me, and you, you must go, well, 
I bet Steph got a really good emergency room on the ship and I bet she got a lot of insurance, you know, for, in case some of us die before we get there, you know. You've really got to factor that in now. It's just ah, sad but true. Jesus. Hey, David. Yeah. You were born in Strawn in Tasmania. What was it like growing up I in Tassie? I was born in Tasmania. I never grew up. I was born in Footscray, yeah. Maine. Foot you were great. born in Tassie. Don't make me. I was. My ancestors uh, spent some time down there a long time ago. Right. Now, I just thought I'd just chuck in some total bullshit and see how you reacted to well, we it. Were, but, we, uh, we grew up not too far from each other, really. I mean, Essendon, yeah. we used to throw stones at the kids on the Essendon side of the Melbourne River. <laughs> we used to be having these little wars with all these high school kids get there at night. You get a palm frond thing and put some mud on it and flick it, and you can get pretty much, you know, up to the houses on the other side. <laughs> Fantastic. So you're yeah. Western General, uh, Western uh, General Hospital boy. Yeah, Footscray. Oh, it was called Footscray Hospital back then. Yeah. You know. and what what year were you born? Uh, fifty four. Fifty four. So I was fifty six. So you were born the Premiership. Uh, you and I was born two years later. There you go. So were you living in Footscray when you picked up your first guitar at the age of ten? No, no, my parents had a house in Maribyrnong. So um, went to um, primary school and high school. We had a uh, an immigration place in the Maribyrnong. Well, it's called the Maribyrnong Detention Centre now. It was the migrant hospital when I was a kid. So we got all the, the 10-pound ponds and uh, a lot of uh, refugees from, you know, Europe from the, from the war and things. So it was pretty interesting growing up there and... Um, I actually went to a school reunion last year. I thought I'd never go because I hated school so, so bloody much. Um, but it was great. I was so happy I went. And uh, they were good days when I look back at it sometimes. Yeah. Meeting that I met, yeah. Did you rub your mates' noses in it, in it about how much, how that you're a billionaire and they're not at the school reunion? No, because the guy I spent so much time talking to, I used to sit next to him. His name's Craig Hemsworth. Craig who? Hemsworth. What, is in the Hemsworth in, Brothers? Yes, yes. So I used to sit next to their dad in primary school and high school. <laughs> so he could, no one rubbed anyone's nose in anything, but he could have rubbed my nose in it. Oh, hang on. So he's the father of the, the boys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Craig was from um, Maidstone next to Maribyrnong. So he went to Maribyrnong Primary School that Jeff Kennett knocked down, and then he went to Maribyrnong High School as well, and I went to Maribyrnong High School. Hence why all the Hemsworth boys are all Footscray supporters. Footscray fans. I would say yeah. so, yeah. 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 Oh, there so. you go. So I, it's, it's funny, I always sort of remember that I'm from West because it really was frowned upon back in the day, you know, you're, oh, what, Footscray or, you know, West, it was not looked Because I had all the munitions factories there. I yeah. used to sell newspapers at the ammo factories after school and um, uh was really looked down upon, and then you, like, when you walk out on a stage at um, the Greek Theatre in Hollywood, I kind of like to remember that's where I'm from. And go, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very good. So you mentioned Maribyrnong High School. Was that that that's when you sort of was that the high school where you put your first band together? The teacher came and yeah, yeah the teacher came and said, oh, "Okay, Steri, you know, I heard you've been taking guitar lessons and." You know, uh, Fulvio, I hear you You think you're a bit of a singer and uh, another guy, David, and we um, had to get this band together. We kind of looked at each other and, and realised, well, yeah, why not? Let's have a go. So we did. And um, we did our first ever gig and it was scary but, but wonderful. It was that taste of 
what it's like to be on a stage with a, you know, making loud music and the reaction of people was fantastic. So that was my first band. It's called Badge after the Cream song. Yeah, what a great song. Great song, yeah. So, yeah, and um, we kind of stuck together for a little while after that. We were all, I guess we started with about 14, so we were about to get further into our educational leave and get an apprenticeship like I did and a lot of people did. Um, so it wasn't going to go very far. So, but it, what, it certainly what, gave me the taste. What did you do an apprenticeship in? I'm a printer by trade. I'm a, I'm a, a hand compositor. Uh, and now, oh. when back in the day, we'd have a, a tray of letters, one letter, you know, A, B, C, and yeah. it had them all around. And you had to sort of make up every word and put spaces and lines between things. And you did it upside down and back to front because it was print. So you were reading it as you were doing it upside down, back to front. So my train was actually obsolete when I started my apprenticeship. So <laughs> yeah, but, but computers weren't really around at the time then. IBMs came in and there'd be a girl at a typewriter who could change a little golf ball with different fonts and different sizes. So yeah. So I left I left um I quit my 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 that job the day I finished my apprenticeship and um never never sort of went back in business. Now, so when you quit the, the job, was that was that just to go, I'm doing music now? Was that the decision or just well, I don't yeah, want to do yeah, this? Yeah, so I've got a job, I've got a bit of a job uh, <laughs> teaching a little bit of guitar where I was where I was learning. They sort of needed someone to sort of start teaching some, you know, beginners and things. And for some reason, I got selected, even though I'm musically dyslexic. Um, and uh, and I and I worked at that for a while. And and didn't like it and wasn't very good at it. Although some of my students um, became fine musicians, and 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 some of them are still my friends since they so. Any any notables in the in the people you taught? No, not. Oh, there was a, a, a fabulous girl guitar player called Josie Jason, and sadly, not this any longer. She was this uh, girl I'd, um, I'd give her, lend her my Led Zeppelin records and my Deep Purple records, uh, and I'd say, I want you to go away and learn Richie Blackmore's guitar solos and Jimmy Page's guitar solos, and she would, and I, I couldn't play them, but she could. And then she was, she was playing in bands all around um, with Jimmy Hocking. For a long time, people like that, and she was you know, very much loved. Um, and she passed away of cancer, I think, about ten years ago. Oh, god! But sadly, yeah, she was probably my best student, and yeah, but she, I think, she taught herself more than I taught. <laughs> so, when did the ad in the paper happen that you answered looking for a guitar uh, player? Well, that was, that, and that's well, that was one of my students. I was also teaching at Werribee High, teaching some guitar, and uh, one of my students, uh, I guess, it would have been. 1980, beginning of 1980, was knocking on my door one Saturday morning going, David, David, there's an ad in The Age because The Age had a little uh, section, amusements it might have been called, some uh, musicians wanted ads. And he said, there's this keyboard player looking for a guitar player. You've got to ring this number. And I went, oh, yeah, sure. But anyway, I rang the number and that was one, a moment when my life changed, I guess. It was Richard Zatorski at the other end of the phone, and he immediately noted, I, I don't even know what I said I was babbling on, and Richard left a note for his uh, flatmate saying, I've found the right guitar player, i found the right, without even, you know, meeting me or playing any music. So, so, yeah, it's amazing when you can trace something back to one little event and your whole life became something. Wow. So you went over to jam with Richard and 
what happened next? No, we both, no, we didn't actually play anything. Richard had um, a Moog synthesizer, I think, with a polyphonic Moog, which was like you could play more than one note at a time and it would remember sound. You didn't have to keep resetting it every time. And um, we both had TIAC uh, four-track recorders, tape recorders. And the idea was, you know, I'd started writing some things and I couldn't kind of really finish a song and he was in the same boat. So we swapped tapes and uh, I ended up, finishing his songs. I don't think he ever finished anything of mine, but uh, that's the way we started working. And then we were, we were just going to write. We weren't going to be a band. We wanted to, you know, I thought I was too old and uh, we were just going to write for other people and uh, see what happens. So, but, um, yeah, so we, but then Richard said, let's let's form a band and, and, and we found a bass player and we had a band and drum machine. And uh, off we went. <laughs> I love that. Found a drum machine, not a drummer, a yeah. drum machine. No, no. <laughs> oh, it's, okay, it's the, 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 it's funny how these stories kind of keep connecting in some ways, but uh, we had a little thing called a, a doctor rhythm machine. That, and we oh, they're it. shit out. Yeah, I know. I know they're, they're awful. But I've got awful. one. It sounds like Nintendo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. It sounds like Nintendo. And the, yeah. our first gig. Brian, what was that hotel in High Street for Because you played there too. Uh, Kramer's um, or Richie's Night Spot. I think it no, became Kramer. No no. no, 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 High Street Paran. Uh, oh. Anyway, it was it was before, it was between St Kilda Road and Chapel Street and there was this lady who ran the place. We played our first gig there with our drum machine and our rented crowd of 30 people. And uh, she was saying, was, oh, we had this other band in the other week. They're called um, the Uncanny X-Men and they're, their singer's really cheeky, but he's really good. It wasn't that long after you kind of started, so we played with our drum machine and we did quite a few things with that. We, we were doing demo tapes. as You would have done demo tapes and shot them yeah. around. Yeah, we did that with, a little, with our four tracks. Um, and we took it. Uh, David Briggs had just produced um, Ozzy Crawl. David Crawl. And yeah. uh, and we we decided to send him a cassette. He sort of invited us around to his studio in Queensbury Street, where he still has his studio. And uh, you know, he was quite critical of the the work, but, but constructively critical. And he also said, "Look, you know, it's un-Australian to not have a drum." Uh. And and uh, <laughs> and well, uh, someone else didn't either. It was um, uh, the Reels didn't have a drummer there. That's right. Yeah. Um, so we, we decided, okay, we better get a drummer, one of these drummers. And we, I think, auditioned 60 of them until we found Danny. And then just recently, just 18 months ago, I, there's a real life album came out and I had it all put together for manufacturing by David Briggs around the corner. You know, he's a lovely guy, David Briggs. And I wondered, and I was reminding him about the, the conversation that he had and the advice that he gave us about un-Australian not having a drummer. And, uh, and I said, you know what, David? There's no drummers on this record either. Drum <laughs> 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 machines all over the, the whole thing, and you know, he, he he laughed. It was funny. So was Briggsy the the conduit to get to Wheatley? Is that how that happened, or was no, that- no, no, that was Jeffrey Shootcraft. Oh, okay, yep, yep. And also, but yeah, we we did get a drummer, and we'd start to get uh, residencies everywhere, and open for bigger bands, and and the whole idea was, um, you know, you'd have to sort of get, you know, ten people of that the other band's crowd and getting back to Macy's on a, for Monday night residency or something. Um, 
We'd even been opening, we'd been opening for Midnight Oil and have people like screaming, get up, get up, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we had to do a 40-minute set and then we went off, think, pretty proud of ourselves. We, we, this is the Tarmac Hotel in, in Labyrinth. Place. And so um, we got off stage feeling pretty good about ourselves and, and Oil's manager said, I've never seen anyone do that to a Midnight Oil crowd. You're so cheeky, get back on and do another set. So we had to go back on and uh, and said to all the people, there, by the way, we're playing Macy's um, to our residency on a Monday night. Come and see us. Boom, boom, get off. What else? What else? What else? <laughs> sure enough, the next night at Macy's, there's 10 of these guys who are at the barrier ready to kill me um, at the Macy's gig. And they're going, yeah, wait, you wanted to kill me last week. And they're going, yeah, you have to do that because it's an oils gig to support band. But we really liked you, and we heard there's actually girls come to see your band. They didn't <laughs> so, uh, so that's how we kind of built up. You know, there'd be ten people there, and then we'd open for the uh, Australian Crawl. Everyone, we even got sent down to a, a bikey pub in Geelong to open for Rose Tattoo. <laughs> oh God! Shit. I think I think dear Frank Stavala is trying to kill us. Have <laughs> us killed. <laughs> so I, it was the weekly question. No, there was a guy, Jeffrey Shootcraft, who worked for Glenn. And I guess at that stage when we were becoming one of the hottest unsigned bands in Melbourne, I don't think Wheatley and Didsky really liked that kind of music at all. I'm sure Wheatley didn't, you know, in, enjoy the music. But they seemed to want to want to sign something up and see if it stuck to the wall. You know, throw it at the wall and see if it sticks because there was this new thing that kind of missed out on the punk movement. And the next thing was kind of the new way of thing, and they realised that they needed some sort of representation in that form of music to be moving going forward with as well. So that's Jeffrey Shukruk worked for uh, the Wheatley organisation, and Jeff was a big fan of ours and and uh, and organised that. I, I don't remember ever Glenn ever coming out and seeing us actually. I mean, just going to meetings and Glenn had the demo tapes and Jeffrey was raving about us. So, so yeah. did did you have Send Me an Angel already, or did that come? Uh, no. Uh, that was quite some time later. Wow. Um, yeah. yeah. We were sort of, um, people seemed to love our songs, but they were sort of pretty simple, new, wavy, almost uh, comedy songs sometimes, you know. Um, and uh, we just, we all knew that we didn't have that that single, that big single to um, break us through. So we were consciously for a good six months um just throwing ideas up against the wall and go, we have to have a, an undeniable single. And then I remember we were on our way down to a gig in um, Phillip Island in Richard's Old Ford and I had um, my Walkman on and I heard this, da, 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 written, just written this down. I went, oh, that's it. That, you know, I shouldn't went up my spine. I thought, oh, this is it. Richard's got, Richard's got his side of the, the deal together. I better, better get this my act together and... Um, so it was written one week, demoed the next, and then recorded the week after that. And, and I remember playing it, the demo to Wheatley. The demo was recorded in Richmond Recorders with Ross Frazen, who went on to, who was our sound guy at the time. Oh. And uh, we were going to play it to, to Wheatley in his big office in South Melbourne the next day. And, and he, the delight on his face, this was obviously a hit. And I remember the bass player from LRB kind of stormed in and he goes, that's a hit in America, you know. We were playing it quite loud and playing it over and over again. So, yeah, it was pretty amazing. Tell everybody about the guitar solo in Send Me an Angel, uh, David. 
Uh, uh, <laughs> right, so the trouble with Brian is he knows all my stories. Uh, uh, the guitar solo was sent me an angel. Okay, so I'm a crap guitar player. And um, we're in You're recorders. not, but anyway, go on. <laughs> we're in Richmond recorders, and the song was new, and I didn't know the chords or the key or anything. And we're putting it together. Ross Fraser says, hey, guys, I've got this idea for some hand claps. Look at these hand claps. Thought, yeah, that's great. And uh, it came time for the guitar solo. I'm sitting on my little um, PV amplifier, and I wasn't used to being in a studio, and I had my headphones falling off and trying to get some distortion out of the guitar. And uh, uh, I said, okay, run it at me, and I'll see, see what happens. So I get levels and things, and they played the tape at me, and I played something and said, and looked up at the guys and said, okay, uh, now tell me what the chords are, and I'll, I'll, I'll try to do something properly. But apparently I played this, like, uh, incredible guitar solo, uh, and they, they looked at me and they're going, no, 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 just come in and listen to this and turn your amp off. So that's how the guitar solo came about. But then uh, we went to <laughs> we went to uh, Metropolis Studios to record it, and of course I couldn't play it again. <laughs> I mean, you know, I guess nowadays we'd sample it off the off the demo or, or use the demo as the basis for the the master tape, but we didn't. And I and so on the demo, which was probably erased, this killer guitar solo that's a. A pale, the one on the actual records, a pale imitation of that. I've never been able to do it right, and Brian delights in that because <laughs> whenever we're working together, I know he's listening when it comes to that, that bit. I know he's stopping stop whoever he's talking to and he waits to see if I can do it. I think when you told me about it the first time you said, and I played the solo and I said that's it, and I never played it that way again. No, I couldn't. <laughs> I just couldn't. I tried. To, <laughs> I was sitting there trying to learn my own bloody guitar solo. Jeez. Another interesting thing about that song too is that I only found out oh, probably ten years ago because um, I always thought it was just a um, a keyboard playing some of those things. But it's actually Lisa Edwards doing yeah, some doing, uh, fun, yeah. doing choral singing with the. That's right. That was Ross. Yeah. Ross Cockle was producing that. And Ross said, "Let's let's get a line in there in the chorus." And uh, about the only person that he thought could possibly do it, that's incredibly high, was Lisa. And she had to, she had to come in and, and go to a back room so she could undo the top button of her jeans to hit the, the big note. So but she oh. did a beautiful job. Brian does that all the time. Yeah, yeah, he's always got his top button in his jeans. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's what I call that, the Star Trek part because it sounds a bit like Star Trek, that part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a vocal thing. Yes, it's yeah. yeah. Oh shit, I didn't know that. Yeah, oh, so many people don't, and and I've often been asked the question. Uh, you know, you know, people are always intrigued by who is it, and, and I've been able to find a, a website or a Facebook site for Lisa and put them in that direction. But, I mean, she's been a great singer, you know, and and that was just uh, one of the things that made it a hit. You know, it's. Uh, it's part of the hook. It's a book. It's, um, uh, well, that was that was your first single, wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. Not a bad way to there be your first single. It's a worldwide freaking smash. Good on you, Dave. It's fantastic. Yeah. Can be a bit of an <laughs> albatross though sometimes, but, you know, yeah. Yeah, it is good. It's going on. I've just licensed it to, to a Netflix series as well. Uh, so, good for you. Did you see that video of um, who's that 
uh, Jimmy Fallon show. Did you see late last year there was Brad Pitt pretending? There's, there's a movie called Rad that, that Angel was in, it's a famous kind of BMX bike movie. And for some reason, late last year, there was a new Brad Pitt movie, something about a train or something, I think. A uh, bullet train. Yeah, bullet train. So I don't, I kind of get the association, uh, the association. You can find this on YouTube, but it's um, Brad Pitt, you know, comes on. And for some reason, he puts on a helmet, gets on a BMX bike and, and does all these bike stunts to send me an angel. I don't know what it's got to do with the film, but it was quite amusing to see that there. You know, go, wow, after all these years, that song is still around and there's people like him. So what's the Netflix show, do you know? About a baseball player. And um, I'm not sure whether it's related to, because back in 1983, 1984, the LA Angels baseball team uh, used that as their home run song. Oh, the California Angels. Did they really? Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and I thought this, this might relate to that time with the, the, the Angels. Um, the LA Angels, actually. They were down in Anaheim. Yep. And we're, we're on tour. We'd nearly finished the tour with Eurythmics and we had a day off and our record company said, guys, we're going to drive you down to Anaheim because there's a, oh, San Diego Zoo first. San Diego Zoo because they've got kangaroos there. And we thought, oh, hey, that's hell. <laughs> kangaroos, you're beauty. Um, and then we go into the baseball. We're going to go see the LA Angels and and uh, they use your song. Oh, yeah, great. So but we get up in this huge stand like the MCG or something and we've got these hot dogs and we've got uh, milkshake containers full of beer. And, oh, it's not such a bad day. It's, 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 it's ending well. And then the LA Angels in a home run. And uh, up on the big screen, the yeah, LA Angels welcome real life to um, the stadium. And uh, we went down and got balls signed and everything. And it was on the front page of the Herald Sun here. So, yeah, it was pretty strange. Oh, wow. Once again, always remembering that, you know, okay, it's a footscray moment going. <laughs> Did it? Didn't it get into the top ten twice in America? Yeah, it did again in nineteen eighty nine. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So wow. so let's let's so in eighty four it it yeah. was it was obviously a smash hit here. No, eighty three. It was eighty three here. All right. Eighty four in 84 America. America and Germany and Europe. Yeah. Well, I was going to say across across Europe, it was massive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I number one in Germany for like a month, and if and if you had the German market, you pretty much had everything else around Europe and France and, and everywhere like that. So, yeah, it's pretty amazing. And then eighty four, it was a hit. Uh, it was a top top twenty hit in America that first time. Yep. So what? Why did it come back again in eighty nine? That's strange because um, Quincy Jones did a remix of my pretty much all time favorite song, Blue Monday by New Order which was a strange combination of Quincy Jones and Water. But um, I kind of liked it and um, I said, I just wondered aloud to the record company, well, I wonder what happened if Quincy Jones got a hold of Sammy and Angel as a remix. And they, they didn't think of Quincy Jones, but they said, yeah, let's, uh, let's have a go. So they got a remix by an English guy, an English producer. Yeah, the same thing happened as to Blue Monday with Sammy and Angel. Again. Oh, wow. Yeah. Who was the English producer? Um, you can ask me that. It's a, <laughs> Sorry, Nigel David. Wright. Nigel Wright. Nigel Wright, who um, uh, I believe he's done a lot of work with that. Um, who's the guy that writes Phantom of the Opera? I think he's done a whole lot of music. Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's been his right-hand man for a while. But he was also in a band called Shack Attack, uh, kind of a disco 
and was um, very successful. Okay. Time. So, but yeah, he kind of um, just basically just changed, up, upgraded the bass part and took out the hand claps and, um, you know, made it sound a bit fresher than it was. It might get a, it might do a Kate Bush uh, with uh, with the new lucky. Netflix series. That'd it, be nice. It hasn't, it hasn't bought me a house yet. But yeah, third time lucky. I was wondering Kylie to do it or someone like that. It's kind of cool. But uh, yeah, oh, there's still like some. Who's done it. cover versions? Because I know there's been cover versions. Okay, the best cover version has got to be the Gregorian monks. You know, you have not had a hit oh. until the Gregorian monks. Have they ever done an X Men song, Brian? No. 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 But, they, but they're looking at best looking guy in the factory, okay? <laughs> they the Gregorian monks, and when they do your song, you know you've made it. Heavy metal ones, there's been folk ones, all sorts of covers. There's, there's heaps and heaps and heaps and heaps. So hang on, do you get a letter, dear Mr. Sterry, uh, we'd like to cover your song, signed the Gregorian Monks? I'm sorry. How does that happen? Uh, well, no, actually, they, li- they, they license it via the publisher. But you pretty much don't have to ask the band permission. Um, as long as you, you're paying the royalties, the, I don't think the, the publishers would ever say no. So, well, that song's with more Chapman Publishing. And um, they would have been notified and, um, you know, said, okay, sure, you know, here's, the, here's the, the code number for the royalties to send us and, yeah, do it like that. So, but the, the films have to license. You know, the films have to be run by um, Ian Richard and, and Ward Chapel and things like that. So, so it's, been in, it's been in some other things. What, what, what else has it been in apart from? Uh, um, well, uh, the Brand the Musical, uh, a movie called The Wiz, really bad movies. We've had lots of stuff in 
uh, Voyage of the Rock Aliens, there's a vampire movie. Uh, I went to see I went to see one. I remember I was sort of uh, living over in Hollywood for a little while um, because the record company was there and they ran one day and said, oh, David, big premiere tonight on Hollywood Boulevard and, and Team Wolf 2 is on. And um, Oh, God. Send me an angel's in it. So, and I, I hear it, having a footstep moment going, wow, my song on Hollywood Boulevard, um, I'm inviting a girl to come along and see it. I didn't tell her why we were there. It was the premiere, so we're on the red carpet. No one knew who I was, thank God. And halfway through the movie, there's this big fight scene and it comes on. And I'd forgotten why we were there. It was awful. It was embarrassing. And I was kind of just sinking down in my seat. And this girl was looking at me like, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> David, yes. David, did the young talent team do the cover of it? Yeah, yeah. What was the oh. What was his name? They covered, they covered work and party, and I oh, thought, yeah, I'll get him with the young no, talent. No, you, oh, no, you tried to one-up me, weren't you? No. Yeah, absolutely. No, yeah, but you no, got they, Young talent didn't catch me on falling, I think. Oh, okay. Right. So who sang it, Danny or uh, Vince? I think it was Vince. That rings a bell. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. You've got the worldwide hit. You just... Yeah. You're travelling everywhere in a limo. You go yeah. to movie premieres. I the fell out of it. I fell out of it. Hey, I fell out of it. That's a good story. What happened? Well, we were in New York on that same American tour with Eurythmics, and it was snowing. And uh, Molly was over there to present us with our Countdown Awards. We'd been nominated for three, and even though we hadn't. We didn't know whether we were going to win or not. We had to go after the Eurythmics show. We had to go to this uh, building, which was called the Trump Tower, by the way, and uh, make acceptance speeches for our awards. And uh, that was pretty embarrassing. We, we did win two of them. And uh, I was a bit grumpy. And they said, look, we've got to, don't come out with us, you're Mr. Grumpy. You can go back to the hotel, the Lexington Green Hotel, and uh, take the limo. You've got it for an hour. By the way, there's bottles of scotch and bourbon and everything in the back of that limousine. And I always, what I loved about the limousine drivers, you'd ask them, hey, hey, who's the most famous person you've driven? You know, tell me a story, you know. And uh, this guy looked like Robert Mitchum and he was talking about uh, Frank Sinatra, the guy with Frank Sinatra. You know? So wow. I'm busy in the back of the limousine, slumped up against the door, pouring as much scotch as I could, drinking as quick as I could because it was for free. And, uh, and we pull up. And it's snowing and it's New York and it's beautiful. And we pull up outside my hotel and he kind of runs around, opens the door that I was leaning against, and I just rolled out into the gutter in the snow. <laughs> a drop of my whiskey. That is a Footscray moment. That's a Footscray moment, yeah. yeah and sure. the next time and next time Frank Sinatra got in the limo, the limo driver told him all about this drunken idiot from Australia that fell out of the car. <laughs> Ah, uh, yeah. I love, I love rock and roll stories. I love just sitting, listening to things, you know, and hearing some of these stories that people tell. It's amazing. Wonderful. Hey, can I ask you, was it the record company going belly up that kind of kiboshed you kind of snowing into, you know, into bigger, yeah. bigger and bigger success because they went under? Yeah, yeah it did. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. They were liquidated and... Um, liquidators don't really know what to do with master tapes and, and, and copyright and... Um, art more or anything. So we just tied us up and uh, it was a mess for about 20 years. It was just a mess. Jesus. Finally, finally, the liquidators said, look, um, this isn't a too hard basket. 
uh, will sell you your catalogue. You can have, you know, for, for, the, for Australia, you own your master tapes and you own the rights to your songs on that on that record label. But it was just a long, frustrating period of time. So, and then it was very complicated because even though like our American and, and European record companies, which are all licensed from the original record company, even though they weren't going belly up, I couldn't audit them or ask them for accounting because there's a clause in our contract that says you can only audit the, the company you signed to. So I couldn't do anything with the Americans or the Germans. Or, the Germans were great. The Americans were but um, it took oh, 20 wow. years. So, and it was like, it was a bit soul-destroying in that I've either got like a bit of a business cap on where I'll put on and think about copyright and publishing and, and deals and percentages or I've got my songwriter hat on and I, I, I can't mix the two of them. You know, I've got to sort of be in one frame of mind or another. Let's talk about the dreaded second album, David. Oh, the dreaded second album. Yeah. <laughs> the dreaded, oh, yeah. That is. No, actually there's some great songs on there. But, um, yeah, it is. But too long. It took too long and it cost too much. Um, and it was recorded all over the world. We recorded, you know, we had a day <laughs> heavy road. We had, we had weeks and weeks in Harvey Studio in Berlin. That's about where Bowie recorded Heroes, isn't it? Yeah, my in Berlin, it's a, it was the wall was still up, and it was just down the road from the wall. And uh, Bowie recorded the Heroes vocals there, and uh, Depeche Mode recorded there. Your favourite band, Brian? Uh, Killing Joke, <laughs> Killing Joke, The Rolling Stones recorded there. Uh, uh, and while we were there, Susie and the Banshees were in there, and. Uh, uh, yeah, it was a great. There's like about eight or nine studios in the conference. It's used to the, the Berlin Opera Hall. And it's still there. I went there just a couple of years ago. I think Crazy Little Thing Called Love might have been recorded there too. But it might have been too. Yeah. Didn't you do something with some paper airplanes that nearly got you into? Yeah, that's trouble? right. We tried to yeah because we had this balcony. We had upstairs, and we had the we had the apartments upstairs that we were living in, and uh, we were so. Uh, lost on this record that I went and bought a train set that we ran around the desk and <laughs> we spent more time playing with our train. And we bought these gliders and we'd throw them. Uh, well, one of them was last seen hitting over the wall, you know. And uh, <laughs> I've got some great photos. There was a, the American Secretary of State's name was Casper Weinberger, I think, back then. This would have been 1985. And it was yep. like a waste man's land in front of us. And one day I went out into the balcony of the studio and literally this helicopter flew right up in front of me with guns. And uh, I looked over the wall and there was a truck down the bottom with guys with guns on sandbags. There was guys in the next building and they built this um, platform to overlook the wall. And then in flies Casper Weinberger, gets out of the helicopter and looks over uh, the wall there and gets back in his helicopter and mix off again. But there were just guys with guns everywhere. It was incredible. All because of your paper aeroplanes? All because of the, the bad music coming out of the control room. <laughs> <laughs> I think the second album I bumped into you at um, uh, uh, Metro- AAV, I think you were doing some stuff. We were doing Coslo Hurts. I remember talking to you and I was saying, oh, you know, and you said, oh, gee, we, we spent 120 grand already and we've only done three songs. Yeah. I got three songs, 120. I said, we'd be lucky to spend 30 on our yeah. whole album. Yeah. And I, I was filthy on it. I went back to Red Simmons and he said, well, sometimes if you've got too much money, you can't even make a decision. Yeah, that's, you know, it's, it's also recoupment. You know, you've got to 
recoup all that money before you make anything. There, there is some good stuff on the on the the, the face to face, the flame album. It just wasn't as well produced as it could be. Um, and yeah, and 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 people have lost interest. By yeah. the time. Yeah, there was things that there was a song on there uh, called "Let's Fall in Love." The remix became an American dance club hit four years later. Or something. Um, yeah. Did the band ever no, really break up? No, no Richard left after this, that second album and decided he wanted to um, start an, another band. He went to Berlin and he got a publishing advance and uh, nothing ever really came of that. Uh, we, we kept on going and we, we made our third album. There was a, a big hit on that in America called God Tonight. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, but by then we were, an imp- we were an American band, so... We didn't really have an Australian label. We, we, we were on BNG, but we weren't signed to them. So they didn't feel like working the record very hard. And, yeah, I guess that's just the way that it went, you know. So, And then, yeah, the, the record company was Angel became a hit again. The record company was liquidated. It just got all too complicated and too hard. So it was more like a, a hiatus, but we never sort of said, now we're going to break up. Yeah. Uh, um, I still record under that name because I was never like a – an amazing front man like a Michael Hutchins or a Brian Mannix or something like that. So, yeah. You're cool. Oh, thanks, mate. <laughs> I'm just shy. Not like you. I'm very shy. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> you do these big 80s shows yeah. with some real naff acts, I've got to say. Those pricks oh. from ABC, they, they fucking suck, David. <laughs> you know it. No, I love them. It's, that's hilarious. You mentioned um, uh, bands like the Pesh Mode or Heaven 17 or something or Human League. And he, it's all funny, you know. You go, come on, Brian. People love that music. You know? No, I don't. I don't. I think actually you were doing some show with ABC and you rang me and said, have a listen to this, and I could hear him in the background. I was like, oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be yeah. right. <laughs> now, though, I do, it's funny because you get to uh, work with some people like that you really go, wow. Like a couple of years ago, just before the pandemic, I was in America to speak to with the tubes. Oh, yes. wow. White, Fee white bill. Yeah, white punks and dope. And I remember I was sharing a dressing room with uh, the Vapors too, you know, turning Japanese. Oh, yeah. And we're in Chicago, and Fee Waywell just burst into the room, he's legend, and he's talking to you like he's known you his whole life, you know, and you, I was just having a foot moment, pitching myself going, I remember, because I remember hearing White Punks on Dope for the first time and going, what the hell is that? You know, how amazing, what an amazing band. Uh, and there he is, he's chatting away and, you know, he's out there singing and telling his stories and it's great. So sometimes you meet those people. I mean, and you, I was looking at your show. I was looking at all the people you talked to. I mean, you've been talking to all these incredible people, uh, you know, uh, John Lydon, um, Alice Cooper and all those. I mean, you must get a real buzz. You must have a, a foot screen moment with yourself there, right? I mean, you're talking to all these people. That, I know that you love Alice Cooper. And John, I, I do. And John what a... You know, wow. Hey, I'll tell you, Dave, you know what the one that actually made him, I reckon his big sort of um, footscray moment was when we spoke to Mickey Dolan's of the Monkees. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, no, I remember I remember you telling me I'd seen you around that time and it was like, what, you're going to talk to a monkey? That's like having a, a beetle moment, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's the next best thing, but, yeah, it was pretty special. And, oh, no, you love the Monkees. You're as, you're as, I mean, you... You know all about all the, rec- the records they made when they weren't successful anymore, I think, don't you? 
Yeah, yeah, I, I dug out the records they made by themselves and had to listen to them and that. Who yeah. else did you meet that was really cool? Uh, Andy Warhol. Oh, wow. wow. What was he like? He didn't say much. <laughs> Bit of a Joe Biden by the time you met, got to meet him? Uh, he was pretty, I think it was the year before he died. We were, we'd had this really long day. We'd started in, um, we were promoting that second album. We, we left Frankfurt one morning, flew to uh, Vienna uh, for morning tea, then London for lunch on our way to New York. And soon as we landed oh. in New York, we got dragged off to, um, I think it was the Ed Sullivan Theatre, I think. Uh, and I was presenting an award. I had to present an award to Katrina and the Waves. But there was going to be a special award before before I started my presentation, and it was uh, going to be presented by Cheech and Chong. So the lights wow. are going down in New York. I had this incredibly long day, and uh, I'm sitting on a road case with Cheech and Chong and Andy Warhol, who was getting that first award. You know, it's like, looks great moment. Pinch me, pinch me. It's my friend. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's that's cool, eh? Hey? So, what, what, about, what about you, Kevin? I mean, if, if anyone knocked your socks off you, you would have met more people than me and Brian put together. Oh, no, yeah. not really. I, I, yeah, mine was sort of like I got goo-goo over Dennis Lilly and, you know, that's I've probably. Oh, okay. But, yeah, uh, Susanna Hoffs, I was fairly. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. oh baby. <laughs> Yeah. Shut up, you two, for Christ's sake. Uh, well, and, and I'll tell you who, who actually uh, did surprise the hell out of me was Katie Lang. Oh, oh she's one. What a yeah. voice. She, uh, just, just, and, and just a really, really incredibly nice human being to speak yeah. with. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, just her records are just beautiful. What a oh, great singer. Unbelievable voice. Amazing. Unbelievable. I tell you, one person that was also on the same tour with um, uh, Fee Wavell that time was uh, – I remember going to see them at Festival Hall. They were sort of a new wave band and this, this woman in front of them was just amazing. And um, I was on the going to the first day of this American tour we were playing in Boston and I was in the van with Martha, Martha Davis of the motels. Oh, she's lovely. Oh, she's a lovely woman. And um, um, Martha's in the front with um, the original saxophone player, Marty, keyboard player, saxophone player. And she goes, oh, you know, we've got an Australian in the band, you know. I'm, yes, yes. And I said to her, do you remember playing in Melbourne for Australia for the first time? And she said, yeah, yeah. And I said, well, I was there and I was so blown away by you that night that, you know, I really wanted a part of what you were doing. I wanted to be, you know, in a music band like that. So it was so nice to be in that band and tell her how much she meant, you know, to me without being too daggy about it. And, uh, you know, she was lovely. Uh, she Always remembers putting her legs around Molly's neck or something on Countdown. There's some scene you can find it on YouTube where she's got her legs around his neck. And I got I got a bit sick on the tour somewhere with the air conditioning was freezing cold in Texas backstage and then boiling hot on the stage. And Martha was coming up and putting a scarf around me every night and making sure I was okay. And you know, to meet her and and, and just have that reaction, that, that sort of vibe. It was one. Hey, uh, yeah. the, the the shows that you're doing now. So what what band have you got together to do to do them? Uh, I've got, uh, well, it's it's the same sort of band. Anyone standing behind me, down the middle of me, um, is uh, called Real Life these yeah. days. So uh, I haven't got anyone original uh, from the old band. I had lunch with Danny, the drummer, the other day. Danny's had a serious time with cancer in the last few years. He's, he's doing okay now, but he's had colon cancer. Um, the longest-serving keeper player, George, has had Crohn's disease and um, 
some terrible other things. Oh, God. So I've got a guy, uh, I've got two keyboard players. Uh, one of them uh, was in a band called Talk That Walk. Um, oh, yeah. Very short-lived new wave. They had like one great song, Surface Tension, um, that was uh, – and the, the guy went on to write a whole – as a writer, the singer's a, a songwriter now anyway. Uh, on drums, we've got a guy called Joe Torre, who you, you've worked with. Um, uh, that, that, that's the American guy. No, no, no. He's um, – uh, no, he's Australian. He works with Frank. He works at Premier. Oh, okay. All right. He did a gig with us at um, – the Oakley RSL one time. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. Yep. Oh, sounds like you're surrounded by good players. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, as, as good as I can get. I nearly, I nearly had um, Tim Rosewarn uh, on board for Keys for a little while, but he, he kind of had cross dates and Tony started uh, off with someone, someone else. And so, yeah. What about the guitar solo, David? <laughs> um, <laughs> He's going to go. Are we and practicing? Get the, are we practicing the guitar solo or what? I haven't tried it. You probably can't hear it. No, we can't hear it. Unfortunately, you're right. You're right. Actually, we we can't hear it. But, <laughs> Sorry, um, I got but, it but right. he just did it perfectly. We'll have to take your word for it, David, because Brian, uh, we didn't hear it. Brian, I have to, I have to ask you a fashion question. Yes, is, um, is double denim not the go? Is that the right? Am I making a major fashion faux pas here? Is what? No. Is that okay? No, Brad Pitt made that cool again in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You're looking gorgeous. Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you, you, David. Thank you so much for agreeing to talk talk to us. I've been looking through all your shows and, I, you know, congratulations. I know you guys do a great job and I've really got to listen to some of them and and have a good listen. Thank you for being on. Yeah, yeah, it's been great, David. And uh, nice to see you, Brizey. Always a pleasure to uh, hang out with you, my friend. And um, hopefully, we'll be working together again in the not too distant future. Let's hope so. A real life versus X Men show would be great. We'll go on first. We'll go on first, and I promise you that we won't drink all your beer while you're on. <laughs> oh, well, that's something to look forward to. We can we can look towards doing that. That'd be great fun. Beautiful. Oh, right. Thanks, David. Thank you, guys. Take care, mate. Thanks, David. Cheers, buddy. See ya. Bye.
There you go. That's uh, that's the real life version of Send Me an Angel. In the middle there, you heard the Gregorian Monks version of Send Me an Angel. It's brilliant. It's pretty good. Who would have thought that, that the Gregorian Monks would, um, you know, do a song like Send Me an Angel and it could be good. Wow, it's fantastic. I was I was quite shocked on hearing it. I thought, oh, when when David mentioned it during the interview when we did the interview, I thought, oh yeah, that'll be interesting. And then I listened to it and went, wow, <laughs> it's kind of good. <laughs> so- Chicken. Jerk and the Gregorian monks that do my new song that I'm still working on. You know the show me the show me the, the photos t- from the <laughs> toilet. Yeah, imagine the Gregorian monks getting their hand on that. That'd be beautiful. Well, yes, could have a whole new meaning to that particular one. But anyway, uh, let's get mm. to our second guest. Uh, uh, we're here, of course, for Murcots.edu.au and their fabulous telephone number. If you want to give them a call and brush up your driving skills. Well, that telephone number, Kev, just in case people haven't written it down, one three hundred triple five five seven six. All right. Let's get to Grant Hansen. You know him from the uh, Mangrook uh, TV show and also a terrific musician and DJ as well. So we're going to talk to him about all those things right now. What a top fella. Let's talk about your album, Grant, uh, about the, yeah. the Blackfire album. Yeah, well, it's uh, it took us uh, probably about 18 months to make because of the COVID. We went in and out of COVID and trying to get access to the studio. So it took a lot longer than what we anticipated. But it's, um, you know, some of these songs we've had written, um, you know, 15 years ago that we never got a chance to do on our former album. So there was a couple of tracks like that. And there's a couple of new ones that we wrote uh, during that COVID period as well, just so that they were relevant to what's happening right now. And I wrote a song called Talk and Treaty, which... Uh, the Victorian government will start negotiating in July. So I wrote a song about treaty and what does it mean to people? What does it mean to me? What does it mean to you? So it's just putting the question out there, posing the question, you know, what, what does treaty mean uh, for Victorian people, Aboriginal people and non-Indigenous people here in the state? So it's a catchy tune and um, it's getting a bit of airplay on radio as we speak now. So, um, you know, once again, it's educating people. It's not putting stuff in people's faces and trying to put people offside, but just educational. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, tell us a little. Uh, give us a little of the background on on uh, on Blackfire the band. How long How long ago were you? Did you start? We formed in 1992, oh. and uh, we played the inner um, Melbourne for a long around the Fitzroy Collingwood areas and at the Baden Hotel, the Prince uh, Hotel. We played it. Uh, we had a regular uh, spot on a Thursday night at the Royal Derby. So we brought out our first album called A Time to Dream. And the name Blackfire came from an Aboriginal documentary made in the in the 70s. And the sequel was called 
A Time to Dream. So hence, that's where we got our name from and our first album title. That went really well. We got signed to the Karma Music label in Alice Springs, which they had was the biggest Aboriginal media centre and radio station in the country as it was then, one of the very few. And they had a huge record label there. They had a lot of artists, you know, Coloured Stone, Marumpy Band, Frankie Yammer, Amanda, and they very rarely ventured outside of the NT to sign up other acts. And for us, for some reason, they liked our music and we were signed to them. Then we come around with our second album, which was called Night Vision, and our great late, uh, our late great mate Paul Hester um, heard uh-huh. us play one time at the Vic Arts Centre and it was a brand-new day performance, uh, a live uh, production of that play at the Arts Centre and Paul was in the audience and afterwards he came up to us and said, Hi, I'm Paul, I'm from Crowded House and I loved your show and I love the songs. Um, would you like to come and do some demos with me um, down in St Kilda? I've got a little studio. Uh, what about we come down there and have a bit of a bash around? So I said, yeah, no worries. So we did that and then Paul got so excited with the songs that we had, he said, stop worrying about doing demos, let's do an album. You know, this is great songs and I'd really love to make this album with you guys. So Paul came on board with us and Little, little. This is a fact that people don't know about. That Paul Hester was actually playing in Blackfire as our drummer on the second album. He drummed on all the tracks, and he played with us live before he even left Crowded House. Oh, uh, so when he left Crowded House, he talked about at the press conference how he wanted to play with Blackfire and be in the Blackfire family. And so we had a really great uh, long-term relationship with Paul for the next ten years. And then, as you do, guys got married, had children. Few of the boys worked at Aboriginal organisations, and we sort of, you know, went to do the Margaret Footy Show on TV, and which Edwards went solo, and sort of people sort of went their own ways. But now we've come back, um, you know, because we uh, enjoyed playing together and, and writing those songs, and felt like we still had something to say, you know. So we're back again. Are you going to are you going to tour to promote the album? Yeah, look, you know, we're, we're trying to get on some of the big festival um, scenes, uh, Brian, because as you know, that's where the mass of people are. It's hard yep. to get people to get to hotels these days, but, you know, we've sent out all our, our music around to all the radio stations across Australia. We're on Spotify and all that. So, you know, hopefully, you know, these sort of bigger shows will be able to um, encourage people to go out and buy our records. But as you would be aware, there's not much money in, um, in music anymore. It's basically the live performances and the merchandise. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. What's um, the uh, what's the lineup these days, Grant, in the band? Because I know you got a new singer. Yeah, we've got a new singer. His name's David Leha, and he's a lot like Doug Parkinson, but a little bit more rockier. Oh, um, wow. he performs under the monkey of uh, of the Radical Sun, and just lately, people have been doing Archie Roach tribute concerts, and he's been singing uh, "Walking Into Doors," which Archie Roach, which was his song, and he's just sang it so well that you know. Um, I heard him on the radio singing that song and I had to track him down because I was looking for a new singer and I heard that song so I rang him up and, and you know, the rest is sort of history. But he's a great singer and he can sing blues and he can sing soul and he can sing rock. So, you know, we're very lucky to, you know, to to have someone like him to, to come in and, and fill in Kutcher's shoes and, and take us to another level. Uh, so we got Salem Burns from Coloured Stone, an original member of Blackfire, myself, Bradley Brown, another original member. And we've got a couple of session players. We've got Rod Crunwell, who used to play with Swanee and Old 55. And then we've got on drums, uh, we've got a guy called Peter Moore, not the footballer, but he's playing 
um, I think, uh, Glenn Frey's band in Australia when he was touring here as well. So they're all rock dogs and been around, so that helps fill out that big black fire sound. Yeah. Yeah. Regeneration is the is the name of the uh, thing. Is that about, is that as much to do with the band as it is to do with, you know, life itself? Well, that's a very good point. You're right on the money there. Regeneration, the album cover on the front has the bushfire and then on the back it has the black trees with all the green shoots sprouting out. So that's uh, what happens when bushfires go through um, any place in Australia. You get that regeneration and we just thought that the band's coming back together in a little bit of a different format, like the bush regrows. So we regeneration is a is a good term um, to use for the for the album and also just connect us to the country as well. I'm really impressed with your artwork and your um, your graphics and stuff. Who does that? Or said something the band does themselves or um yeah no um yeah we get um dex audio you remember them up yeah i do i can see these so we pressed 500 cds prior to sell at the gigs and um yeah it was just uh, looking at photos and and coming up with some sort of concept that would reflect that regeneration name and after explaining about um, you know, why I come up with that concept. Um, we were able to find some photos and, and put it together. So they're still going, Dex Audio. So they got in our guys that, that helped put it together. Yeah, great. Uh, what did you get them to master it for you? Or, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, uh, the mastering was done by Nicky Bomber. You probably know Nicky Bomber. Oh, yeah, I know Nicky. Yeah, he's great. He's yeah, so he's got Transmitter Records. And so that's who we're with on his label. And he mastered it. And Nick's a great, as you know, great musician. But I've done a lot of stuff with Nick mastering over the years. And he's got a great ear. So he mastered it. And then once it goes for that mastering stage to be burnt on the CD, a few yeah. of the top get cut off as well. So we're really happy with the way it turned out in the end. Oh, Nicky's really good. I think he produced a um, couple of uh, Kate Sobrano's uh, yeah. singles and he got, he got some really great sounds. Um, I know on one of Kate's ones, was this really cool bass sound. It's like nothing you've heard before. And you know, yeah. I was, I, yeah, I've been really impressed with him. He's a wonderful musician and, and a really nice bloke. So, yeah, well done. You know, you, you surrounded yourself like with your lineup and your band and, you know, you've got some really good people involved in this project. It's the it's, uh, way to go. Yeah, it's like, well, that's the key, isn't it, Brian? You've got to have some good people around you to be able to sort of um, do anything, really, and get a bit of notoriety and get a few people talking about the band. And so, yeah, yeah. and and plus you learn so much more when you have good people around you, like Nicky, um, you know, David Bridie in the past. We've had some good people. Bundawai in a pingu. I used to play with Yothi, uh, play with us when he came to Melbourne. Um, he'd come and play Blackfire gigs as well as his Yothu show. So we've had some good people that like being around us and, and that's always worked well for us. Yeah, it would be remiss of us not to ask you about uh, Marnbrook uh, Grant and whether whether we're ever going to see what is arguably the best footy show on television back on bloody television. <laughs> yeah, I know. I hear so much feedback now about you know the footy commentary in general and also the footy shows and when is Marnbrook coming back? And I could be at the supermarket or at the servo <laughs> at the footy. And people always ask me when you're coming back. When you're coming back and. I suppose, you know, we didn't know that the show was going to end. The, the rug was pulled from under us. Um, we didn't know. And so by the time we had an opportunity to be able to try and get onto another network or find some sponsorship money, COVID hit, which threw everything out of the, out of the um, put a spanner in the woodwork, so to speak. So we've been trying since then um, to try and get money for the show to get back up. We haven't given up the ghost yet. But just in this um, 
political and um, financial times, it's uh, rather difficult. We did we did do a grand final show last year, yeah. and that went well. Got a big audience. So if the worst comes to the worst, we'll do another grand final show. But we're always angling and trying to get onto a network and finding money. So. You know, they talk about Aboriginal funding and all that stuff. I just wish that I could get my hands on some of it because <laughs> it's near impossible. <laughs> yeah, but, it's, a, it's such a good show and, and, you know, probably was the best football show on TV because, um, it, well, I just didn't talk shit as much. It was a bit of shit, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, didn't talk as much shit as other footy shows. Um, no, it was always a good vibe. It looked like everybody got on well on that show and it was you know, it's like inviting somebody into your home and sort of like, oh, well, I've got a party going on here. It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it was a really good. It was a really good show. I miss it. And I think we had you, you, you and uh, your blokes on. Not Uncanny X Men, but the uh, the other lineup that you play with um, on uh, the ABC studios one night. Is that right? You guys. That's right. Yeah, I, I can't remember what we played, but I do remember doing the show. Um, I, I, I guess it was the X Men. Um, could have been with Scott Khan. I'm not sure, but yeah, probably the X Men. But yeah. Uh, yeah I do remember doing it, but, I, you know, I'm a bit of a footy nut, so, you know, it's like, well, I'm on the footy show, you know, this is great. Um, so, yeah, I don't remember what we but, played, but I do remember doing the show. And do you know what, Brian, that was the good thing about the show. We were promoting and playing Australian music and bands. Yeah. But at the time, there's no um, TV shows that had any live music that was Australian. So we were proud yeah. of that that we're having Australian musicians playing Australian music on an Australian show. So it was, um, you know, it, the, all the musos loved it because they, they, I'd get calls from all around the country saying, can we come on, Margaret? Because it was a national program and exposure yeah. was – so that was a good angle of the of the program as well. Plus, as you know, and I know, and yeah, we're all mad footy nuts anyway, so music <laughs> and footy somehow melds together. But I don't know why, but it does, and, and that was great always to have live music on the program. Mm. Yeah, go figure. Play, having Australian bands on an Australian show, uh, talking about an Australian game—that's uh, that's a recipe for disaster. <laughs> yeah, that's, that'll never work. Oh. <laughs> Honestly, they talk about common sense not being common. That if that if that's not the best description of common sense not being common, I don't know what is. Yeah, well, you know, it's pretty much uh, not what you know, who you know, when it comes to the football media and. Um, yeah, I, I just think that um, it should have really went on a commercial network. Someone should have picked it up because, you know, it brought people together through the love of footy and, and, and the music. And, you know, the great thing about that program is you can see Indigenous and non-Indigenous people sitting together and by the end of the show they're giving each other high fives and giving each other hugs and they'll become regular um, people that were coming to see the show live. So it, it was a really, it was more than just a footy show. It brought the country together, it brought people together through the love of footy, through the love of music. And, and as Brian said, it was just a fair and footy show that just talked footy, which not many shows do. We weren't trying to bamboozle people with statistics. We weren't trying to, be, uh, trying to be too academic and too, you know, educational and talk all the bullshit that goes on now. It was just uh, local footy talk that people understand and want to know because, as you know, Kevin, Brian would know, when you follow your team closely, people know their side, they know what's going on, so, you know, you just talk basic football and that's what they appreciate, not all the other fluffy stuff around the side and how many stats someone's got and how many hit-outs because it means nothing from one, one week to the next. Yeah. Yes, stats are very misleading in that I think, mm -hmm. Kev, we were talking, you were talking to some bloke that 
he's, he was always missing the goal and his stats weren't too bad. But then he said to you, um, yeah, but that doesn't count the ones that I kicked out of the full or the ones that didn't go the distance to um, to make the goals. Yep, exactly and right. I've never looked at statistics the same since then because it's <laughs> like they don't tell the full picture. So whereas yeah. a, a lot of commentators just completely rely on statistics to sort of yeah. sound important rather than give you information that's you want to know that's useful. Graham, one, the thing, one of the things I thought that Mandra didn't, you, and you mentioned it then, is, is that it brought people together when there was with no political agenda, with no agenda of any description except for people getting together and talking, and that and that's what we're 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 doing referendums, we're doing you know legislation, we're doing everything to try and make that happen. Yet you had a vehicle that was doing just that, and people yep. in in the higher places ignored it. And I and again, I still don't understand that. Yeah, that's a good point. You see, Reconciliation Australia always uh, getting out and about and saying what wonderful work they did. I tried to get money out of them. I couldn't get $10, you know. Um, You would have thought that a reconciliation vehicle like that was the perfect funding model to fund because it did that. And I think, you know, you see through the ages that music is the other great medium. When you go to, you know, any music show, whether it was Uncanny X-Men or Blackfire, there's always a mixed audience. And Australia, Mm made up of so many different Australians. There's Greek Australians, Italian Australians, Irish, you know, I'm, I'm Irish Aboriginal on my side of the family. So, you know, it brought people together just through the love of music. And, and isn't it great to go somewhere without it being politicised, without me having to talk about Aboriginal issues or you having to talk about the Footscray Football Club or 3XY every time you go out or Brian about Uncanny X-Man. It's good just to go out and enjoy yourself and just be yourself. Yeah, the- He's led by example rather than just, you know, talking about stuff. You just did it and that was really good. But something that's just bothering me now, I'm, I'm just wondering on your next album, <laughs> do, you think, do you think you might get Peter Moore, the footballer, to have a crack and help out on the next one perhaps? <laughs> yeah, well, that, that, that's a funny thing on stage introducing him because it makes people's heads turn more than twice to see whether it's the big great man himself from Collingwood and Melbourne and... Uh, yeah, but Pete is a quite a tall guy, but he's not a very good footballer at all, Brian. And um, <laughs> <laughs> most most musicians aren't very good footballers. That's why they're musicians, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was terrible at it. Every year. Hey, uh, so, so where can people get a hold of uh, Regeneration? What, what's the best way for them to, to have a listen to it and, and, to, and to get a hold of it once they hear it and they, and they love it and they want to, you know, get it in their collection, Grant? It's on all the musical uh, social media platforms at the moment, so iTunes, um, what are they called, all those ones that's up. It'll be up on by Friday. Some of them have got it up there right now. And plus at the gig we'll have CDs because I still love listening to CDs. My car's got a CD player, so I still drive around. Don't listen to much of today's stuff to tell you the truth, but I'm still playing a lot of 70s and 80s when I'm driving around. But So there's CDs for sale and there's also T-shirts and caps as well on the night that people uh, can purchase as well. Um, but it's going to be on iTunes and uh, Apple Music and all those sorts of uh, normal musical platforms. Some are got it up now, um, and some will have it all up by Friday night's gig. Yeah, yeah. You do an al- album launch on Friday night. That'll that'll be an exciting night for you. Well, as Brian know, I remember the last time I played at Mimo, Brian was on the bill. Uh, oh yeah, X Y concert. I think I yeah. sang Gazali, and uh, I sang up there Gazali with Billy Miller. And then I'd done the go- some goal from um, John Stewart. Uh, Stewart, yeah. And then I think Brian sang Halfway Hotel, which he nailed it. He killed it. 
Yeah, I had to take it down about six tones because the guy that sings it is so high. So, like, oh, I've got to sing this. It's a good song. Yeah, it is a great song. But, um, yeah, I was a bit out of my, my comfort zone with that one. But, um, yeah, but those shows are really good fun. I really enjoy them. Um, yeah. Because, you know, as you say, it takes you out of your comfort zone and you go, oh, hang on, I've got to do a bit of work here. <laughs> but, yeah, those shows are good. And um, and you sang your song's fantastic. Um, Up the Gazali, you know, that's a, you know, it's an iconic song. And the John Stewart one was great too. So, you know, well done to you. And as you know, Brian, that Mimo Music Room, and Kev, you've probably been there quite a few times, it's a great room to play and great sound system, good lighting. You know, it's sort of taken over from the old Gershon Room at the SC, but it's really intimate and it's got a really warm feeling in there, hasn't it? Yeah, it's great. And I think, you know, the, the, the sort of, um, you know, it's a bit classier than in a pub, you know, it's sort of, it's sort of like a little theatre in a lot of way where you know, a cabaret theatre sort of joint. But yeah. what I found is that the people that go there, they really love music, you know. It's not – they're not there to get pissed and try and pull a root. <laughs> they're actually there because they love music and, you know, as a musician, and as you'd know, you know, it's it's always nice when they're actually there just to listen to the music and enjoy what you're doing rather than, oh, that Sheila over there is not bad. I might go over crack at her, um, which is, you know <laughs> – which is where we, where, <laughs> it's where we live, but, you know. <laughs> Goodness me. Well, listen, Grant, good luck with the uh, with the album. Uh, I call it an album. It, it shows what an old fart I am. But uh, good luck with the with the new music. With the, let's hope we see you on the road. And uh, and thanks so much for spending a bit of time with us on, uh, on Life of Brian, mate. It's been really good to catch up. Oh, yeah, it's great. been great. Fantastic talking to you two guys and thanks for your time and, and get me on there and uh, good luck with the rest of your series. It's a great a great format that you got going now and lots of people talk about it all the time. So keep up the good work too. Thanks, Grant. All right. And Grant, remember, go the doggies. Yeah, up the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll put out a call to Peter Moore for you for the next album. <laughs> All right, there's Grant, good uh, good Footscray boy, uh, and uh, we're going to play a track from that uh, Regeneration CD to finish the show off this week, Brian. I'm going to play Treaty, which is the song that, uh, that Grant talked about during the interview. So mm. that's coming up now to finish. So, uh, look, try and, uh, you know, keep your keys uh, on a key ring somewhere <laughs> and on your person or whatever and, you know, or get a, get a key card pass or something, will you? Yeah, well, I've, yeah, I've, I've sorted it. So if I lose it again, somebody else in the building's got a key to my joint. So that won't happen again, but oh, very frustrating. Well, now there's 50 Many. people on the Gold Coast to have a key to your joint. You'll be fine. No, oh, look, I have people <laughs> knocking on my door all night trying to get out. Yeah, it's terrible, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we shall leave. We'll leave you with uh, Grant Hansen's band Blackfire from uh, Regeneration there, their new CD. It's on all the uh, media platforms, all the social media platforms where you get your music. Get this one. It's called Treaty. See you, Brian. Take care. See you, Kev. <laughs>